forever blowing bubbles Pretty bubbles in the air They fly so high, almost touch the sky And like my dreams, they fade and die This is Sonia Brock, podcasting from Toronto, Ontario My podcasts are available as MP3 downloads from my website at soniabrock.com, S-O-N-I-A-B-R-O-C-K.com. I'm going to talk now about a skeleton in our family closet. It was something that bothered my father for his whole life, but the shame attached to illegitimate birth is not as strong nowadays as it was in his day. So let me tell the story. He was a remittance baby. That requires a little explanation. A remittance man was someone presumably of good and well-to-do family who was a black sheep for one reason or other gambling or drinking or whatever, who was, in effect, exiled to the colonies, and the colonies could have been Australia, but in many cases it was Canada, and they were paid a stipend, uh, a sum of money to live on, as long as they did not return to England. Well, my father was not guilty of any such sins but he was the illegitimate child of um, aristocracy. Uh, The family were barristers. It was a custom for for the privileged classes in England for the younger sons to go into law, um, the clergy, sometimes medicine, and of course the army. And they were barristers. His father was the son of barristers. And... um, he had an affair with the gardener's red-haired daughter. An offspring was produced, and that offspring was my father, William. The family was an honorable one. They did right by him. They, they found a couple who were willing to emigrate to Canada and take the baby with them. I've always had a question in my mind as to whether my father's adopted mother was perhaps his real mother because she had had red hair and and that's always been a question in my mind but in any case uh, they emigrated to Canada he was he was a toddler at the time he, he was running about on the deck of the ship with a lollipop in his mouth and he fell and jammed it into his throat and had a bit of an accident there but survived it and they got to Canada and and settled in the um, Port Dover area where he was raised as their own child but at the age of 15 his, his, his mother or, or father must have spoken to someone in confidence and the word got around 
that uh, Bill was um, a love child, and that was, as I say, a big deal in those days. Well, he was so mortified and, and so ashamed, and he would doodle around on the piano when he when he was disturbed and he didn't want to talk. And he, he doodled around on the piano, and, and she talked to him, and he said he decided to join the army. Well, he was only 14 or 15 at the time, so he had to have her permission. And somewhat reluctantly, she gave her permission, and he had to stay in school for another year until he was 16. But when she packed his bags to go over to England to join the British Army for World War One. In a pair of his socks that she knew he wouldn't open until he'd been there for a while, she rolled up the name and address of the family in England that were his ancestors, the, the, the aristocratic barristers, as it were, and sure enough, when he got to England, he found the address and contacted what he called the old boy, and the old boy was about all that was left of the family because it was a custom in World War One to to send the put the officers in the front lines where they promptly got shot, so there weren't any people of the male variety left in that family, the young ones, and my dad was it. But he was a wild boy, and he might have come into some money and some recognition, but they found him a bit wild. So they, it didn't happen, but they did. The, the granddad did buy him a commission in the Channel Patrol, uh, which later became the RAF, which is why he ended up in the Air Force in both wars. Now this this secret was was kept very close. He he told my mother obviously because she passed it on to us, and there are still mysteries attached to the story. He he served in, in England. We, we have a, sh a blackthorn walking stick that he, he, he picked up. Someone attacked him with it him during the Irish, in the Troubles, the Irish Rebellion, when he was posted over in Ireland. And he, I've still got the stick with the blackthorn sticking out of it and it's hanging on my wall, a bit cracked from age, and he, he used it as a cane uh, in later years because he had a, a war injury that he got in World War Two. And he stayed, at, they were billeted, They often soldiers were billeted in what were fairly palatial quarters, um, not always, but sometimes, and in, in Ireland, Ireland, it was a place called Lepa Castle, I have no idea where Lepp Castle is in, in, in the scheme of things, but the, the notable thing about it is that there was a great tower and there was, there was a hole uh, in the tower that went from the top of the tower all the way down to, well, what would amount to the dungeons of the basement. And if the lord of the manor, and these must have been fairly crude feudal times, if the lord of the manor had a very particular reason for disliking someone. They were brought to the top of the tower, step by step, winding their way up, and then pr 
invited to uh, leap or lep down into the the hole where they would be, of course, dashed to pieces in the in the rocks below, and that was why it was called Lep Castle. And this this same place had something rather peculiar. It was a a smelly ghost. I mean, it made noises too. Uh, they were sitting down to dinner at one time, and and uh, where they were billeted, and and the Lord of the Manor was there, and. Uh, there were these noises and, and bangs and so forth, and and then there was this dreadful smell, and uh, they all looked at one another, and and the the laird said, "Well, don't pay any mind to that. It's just the ghost. He's a smelly ghost. First, I've heard of such, but apparently they do exist. I don't know too much about my my dad's World War Two services." He uh, was a bombing and gunnery instructor, and at one point in time he was in a plane. Uh, he didn't go overseas in the Second World War due to age. He was older then. But he was in a plane uh, that was a part of a training mission, and uh, the plane went down, and everybody in the plane was killed except my father, and that's where he got his, his leg injury that he used the blackthorn stick for, and or cane for. And he never quite got over that. It was a kind of a, why me? Why did I survive? Everybody else is gone kind of thing. And others who have been through this kind of experience can relate to that properly. I can't. I, I only know that... Um, he, he would go into depression sometimes and go down in the basement and listen to Bach and opera and stuff and just, just get away from it all and uh, so forth. And he was a good man, um, very honorable, and he, he was a good father, and he raised us well. There were four of us children, and he raised us all well. And finally, the very last child, his last name was... His first name was Brock. I used my mother's maiden name as, as a last name. Brock Pricker was finally the long-awaited for son. <laughs>